You're going to love this. Just love it. What's not to love? Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles. This is your broadcast. As heard on 90.7 FM KPFK in LA, 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Oregon Central Coast, coast to coast and around the globe on KPFK.org on the Stitcher app, the TuneIn app, the iTunes app. Streaming on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, Radio or Not, Radio Free Brooklyn, other affiliates in parts unknown, and Radio Sputnik, five days a week. That's right, you can run, but you can't hide. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow from bradblog.com, here with you for another thrilling, action-packed adventure that we call the Bradcast. And we have uh, a lot to get to today, and I mean a lot to get to today. So buckle up. You've been uh, warned in advance. Just buckle up, uh, including uh, some breaking news that is just coming in as we as we begin today's uh, today's broadcast. So stay tuned for that momentarily. We are also now 14 years past the terror attacks on September 11, 2001. 14 years. 14 years really uh kind of amazing i will uh, it seems like it's it happened frankly in a in a heartbeat it's been a very short time and a very long time all at the same time explain that to me desi doyan oh yeah desi doyan is here our uh, producer as ever hi des hello um well i'll tell you what i will reserve my thoughts on uh, on september 11 and the 14th anniversary and all of that until later uh, in today's program. So stay tuned. I will have some thoughts on the 14th anniversary of 9-11 at the end of the show today. Until then, as I said, some breaking news and a whole bunch of other things that I've been trying to get to for days. Uh, in many cases, um, for some weeks, actually. We'll see how much I can get to today. I'd love to try to get through a lot of it. Uh, and as I said, Desi Doyen joins me as ever. Uh, Des, I look to you uh, for this breaking news because as everyone knows, as longtime listeners of the broadcast know, anything that happens in Texas because you are from Texas is all your fault. Yes, yes, I know. And that's all, <laughs> you know, not always a bad thing. Sometimes it's for good. Sometimes good things happen in Texas. You get to take credit for them. Uh, sometimes, sometimes when they do happen, which is not that often these days. Well, here's some uh, news that uh, I'll let you decide if it's good or bad. But as we go to air here, breaking news, Rick Perry suspends his bid for the 2016 GOP presidential nomination. Well, it's not really good news, I think, until he actually ends his campaign but if he's only suspending it for now well you know hey he could come back well, you know what he I could reanimate uh, he could yes we could rebuild him <laughs> uh, we have the technology 
you know what? I, I, well, yeah, I don't think it's uh, good news actually, because as dopey as he is, I think that all of this, uh, this kind of stuff should, ought to be de- decided by voters, not by polls, or money, not, uh, or money or being money. invested by donors who have billions of dollars, or debate. Well, or lack of debates. Remember, Rick Perry was put into onto the kids' table in the uh, first Fox News uh, GOP debate. Uh, he will now, well. CNN had announced that he would again be in the kids table debate, not on the main stage, simply based on polls, not based on votes and voters and ideas. Um, In any event, uh, well, I guess we can say and then there were 16. We're down from 17 to 16 with Rick Perry out of the race. However, I did notice that on the CNN debate roster for the kids table, they appear to have not included Jim Gilmore. So it may be down to 15 if uh, in the debate in the debate. So he hasn't officially withdrawn. But then again, neither has Rick Perry. Yeah, uh, Jim Gilmore, uh, former governor from where? Oh, Virginia, yes. Virginia, former governor from from Virginia. He didn't even make the uh, the, the criteria for CNN, as far as I understand it. So, uh, and now we're at eleven in the main debate uh, coming up this week on CNN, and I think just four, four or five on the. Uh, yeah, it's going to be a weird. Point. Yeah, why don't weird... they just put them all together? Put them all on the stage together, or have two different heats drawn randomly? Come on, CNN. You don't have to be Fox News, but they're trying. Uh, And you know what? Speaking of which, uh, it's kind of incredible. If you look at the polls that have come in on the Republican side, uh, we talked a little bit about the Democratic side yesterday and how Bernie Sanders is now not only beating uh, Hillary Clinton in New Hampshire, he's also beating her or at least tied, beating her by one point, but statistically tied with her in Iowa That's a really exciting and interesting race. And then on the other side, you've got the Republicans, which is also interesting. Some might call it exciting. I don't know. But you've got uh, Donald Trump destroying absolutely everybody, all 15 or 16 or 17 of them, destroying them at this point in the polls. Um, Although Ben Carson who is someone who I just don't understand. I don't understand his popularity in the least, unless it has something to do with white Republican guilt. But maybe we'll talk about that at another time. But the idea that Donald Trump, of all people, and Ben Carson, of all people, would be the two front runners in the race at this point is... I, 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 if you had asked uh, someone a year ago, uh, who, who do you think will be leading the pack? Uh, I, I'm sure that neither Trump nor Carson would have been named by anyone in America, no matter how smart they are, no matter how clever they are. It's amazing uh, that those two are in front, perhaps even amazing that uh, Donald Trump uh, to some is in front. Here was uh, <laughs> given the fact that he has absolutely no positions on pretty much anything or at least no policies on anything. Uh, Jimmy Kimmel uh, put this together uh, kind of well a week or so ago in this uh, in this Trump ad that he created. The strangest thing about the Trump campaign uh, being on top for a full month now is that apart from his plan to build a wall to keep the Mexicans out, we know absolutely nothing about what he is planning to do as president. You know, Ordinarily, people running for president tell us what they will do if they win. But Donald Trump has, as well as you'll see here, a much broader approach. Donald Trump, a man with a vision for America. Not a specific vision, a great vision, the best vision. Donald Trump has a plan for making this country great again. 
What plan? A great plan. A plan that will work because it is the best. <laughs> Why? Because Donald Trump knows good people. Which people? The best people. People who aren't stupid like other people. People who know how to get deals done. What deals? Great deals. The biggest deals. Deal or no deal. Let's make a deal. We want deal. Make America great again. Donald Trump. I'm Donald Trump, and of course I approve this message because it's a great message, and I have lots of money to pay for it. That is a great, it's not just a good idea. So, well, you know, that's kind of hilarious, but it's also kind of true that somebody like that without any real, uh, you know, agenda is now the head of the Republican pack. And uh, it's not surprising. If you had listened to this show from day one when uh, he announced, you wouldn't be surprised by the fact that he's ahead of the pack now. We have been telling you uh, for months, actually for years at this point, that the Republican Party no longer has any actual governing philosophy. They are not a legitimate political party. The fact that they are covered as one, covered like one by the media, is to the uh, corporate media's shame. But we have another data point to underscore the fact. And then I'll move on to, you know what, some real news. But we've got another point here, uh, a data point to underscore the fact that these people, these Republicans, have absolutely zero actual governing philosophy, that they are not conservatives like they pretend. They don't believe in uh, small government like they pretend. I don't know what they are, but it's not a uh, it's not a political party. It's not a political philosophy. And uh, this poll from YouGov uh, over the past few days uh, comes out and underscores that yet again with this question. Is there any situation in which you could imagine yourself supporting the U.S. military taking over the powers of federal government? That would, of course, be the very definition, I suppose, of, of tyranny, a, a military tyranny. A military that, coup, essentially. A coup that takes over the, the democratically elected uh, uh, branches of the federal government. So what was the question on the poll again? Is there any situation in which you could imagine yourself supporting the U.S. military taking over the powers of federal government? And that's something that, you know, would be anathema, frankly, to any American. But the Republicans particularly, you know, like to say that, of course not. We are, you know, in favor of, of democracy, the Constitution, not a political takeover. They've uh, been railing about government tyranny for government a really tyranny. long time. It's, gov it's tyranny when Barack Obama says, oh, I'm going to uh, enforce this statute more than that statute or... Uh, anything that he's able to do with his executive powers that, you know, George W. Bush did all the time and more, and they didn't complain about it all. So anyway, uh, is there any situation in which you could imagine? Well, uh, the, the bulk of Americans uh, say no. 41 to 29. Absolutely not. There is no situation we could imagine supporting a military coup of the federal government. 41-29. Democrats, uh, by an even bigger margin, 51 to 20, say absolutely not. We don't want the U.S. military taking over the federal government. Independents, similarly, although not quite as big margin, they say uh, 38 to 29. No, absolutely not. 38 to 29. No, we don't. So we could never see supporting the U.S. military taking over the government. Republicans, on the other hand, by a majority... Of 43 to 32, 
say, yes, they could imagine themselves supporting a U.S. military takeover of the powers of federal government, according to YouGov. 43, so a 11-point uh, margin is in favor is in favor of, of, of supporting a U.S. military coup of the federal government. Just incredible. So when I say they have no uh, governing philosophy, there you go. Just another uh, point to underscore that. Okay, uh, some actual news here, uh, and uh, I want to talk about some voting news, because you can say what you want about Republicans, you can say what you want about Democrats, but if you can't run either of them out of office... Well, then I guess you got to call the military and have a takeover of the federal <laughs> government. That, those are so your choices. So the Republicans, those the guys that maybe support are just thinking want. ahead. Yeah, maybe that's what they want. Um, all right. Well, uh, a couple of uh, items I'm going to try to get through here. One, uh, and I'm going to have to learn more about this, but from the Des Moines Register, a calculation error at the Warren County Auditor's Office resulted in an incorrect winner being named in the Indianola School Board. Last Tuesday night, Re results posted on the auditor's website showed Tim Gau Gauger, Gauger, I don't know, let's say Gauger, as the top vote getter with 513 points. But as it turns out, Gauger actually received 154 votes, finishing second from last in the seven person race. The top four vote getters in this race would earn seats on the Indi on Indianola's seven member school board. Uh, fourth place finisher, Jay Wilkinson, who just got in once they noticed uh, this error, said he uh, he noticed the discrepancy in the results for two candidates when he checked the website on election night. But he was unsure whether that would change the results. And he called the auditor's office on Wednesday morning and the mistake had been detected and efforts, he says, were made to correct the results online. And that meant he got in. And that is because someone noticed now, I haven't been able to look into this specific incident yet. I just uh, just got word of it uh, actually from a uh, from a listener, from a reader uh, who goes by the name of Joe Miller, left a comment over at Brad blog. Don't know if that's the same Joe Miller as the uh, old Tea Party Joe Miller up in Alaska, uh, who actually we supported in his fight against Lisa Murkowski to have his votes actually counted for this exact reason, counted by hand to make sure that it was correct that the results were accurate. Uh, he was the Republican nominee. He lost to Lisa Murkowski, who ran as a write-in, but they refused to actually do a hand count of his votes, unlike they did do a vote of Lisa Murkowski's, uh, who ended up being named the winner. So I don't know if this is the same uh, Joe Miller or, or not, but I thank the reader who, call, uh, who calls himself Joe Miller, who brought this to my attention. I hope to look into it more, because it would not be the first time. This happens quite frequently, actually, that the uh, optical scan systems, the computer systems, actually misread in some way, either via malfunction or malfeasance, misread the results. Uh, what's more rare is that we actually catch it, that we actually notice it, because we don't hand count our ballots to make sure the computers got it correct in this country, which is obscene and insane. Uh, I remember back uh, just a few years ago, I want to say 2010, uh, down in Florida, Palm Beach County, Florida, where the uh, uh, 
the, the, the supervisor of elections down there happened to notice that some of the results didn't look correct. And she was able to go to a court and say, hey, can I hand count these ballots to find out if the optical scan system got it correct? Yes. In Florida, you have to get court permission to hand count paper ballots. She was given that permission. And indeed, um, uh, the computers had uh, the results of three different races incorrectly, had named Losers to be winners, winners to be losers, and they only found out because they hand-counted paper ballots. And they only had hand-counted, uh, hand-marked paper ballots down there uh, because they no longer use, for most of the state in any event, a touchscreen, 100% unverifiable touchscreen voting system. So they had ballots to count. We've talked about it a lot on this show. We've had candidates on this show recently. Uh, who, who can't verify the results of their own elections because there are no hand-marked paper ballots for them to look at. And the state of Texas uh, won't, in this case, uh, down there in Austin, a, a race uh, just a few months ago at the end of 2014, uh, won't let the candidate look at the actual results. That's crazy. But that's the United States of America today. Okay, let's move on to... Um, Texas. Now, speaking of Texas, uh, Desi Doyen, uh, once again, this will be your fault. Whatever the story is, it will be your fault. Uh, Ernie Canning, our legal analyst over at Bradblog.com, has the details on this. I'm going to send you there for uh, for the full details because it gets uh, sort of into the legal weeds. Uh, suffice to say, we had Ernie on the show a few weeks ago talking about the uh, ruling by the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals that confirmed, affirmed the lower court, lower federal uh, district courts are ruling that, in fact, the Texas Republicans photo ID restriction law was illegal, was a violation of the Voting Rights Act. Incredibly, though, uh, the, the federal court uh, determined the lower district court determined that and the appellate court uh, affirmed that the law is still in place while it is being challenged for appeal by Texas Republicans. And there's elections in Texas coming up, uh, coming up at the end of uh, this year, December 2015. And then, of course, next year, uh, the presidential election cycle begins. And for some reason, even though this uh, law has been found illegal over and over and over by the federal courts, it still remains in place. It will still disenfranchise some 600,000 legally registered voters who do not have the very specific type of ID that Texas is now requiring for voters, despite the fact that this Texas law has been found to be illegal. Yes, the fight for democracy continues. Check that story out at bradblog.com for, uh, for the amazing details and uh, the fact that it has been confirmed over and over again that Hispanic registered voters and black registered voters in Texas are respectively uh, respectively 195 percent and 305 percent more likely than their Anglo peers to lack the now requisite photo ID in order to cast their vote. People who are already registered to vote legally who will not be allowed to unless the court changes something there. <sighs> Meantime, over in Georgia, uh, the uh, Fulton County, Georgia, has admitted to illegally disenfranchising and misleading voters in the 2008 and 2012 elections. 
They admitted to this in uh, in a settlement uh, late last month uh, for more than two dozen violations of state law, including imp- improperly rejecting eligible ballots and sending voters to the wrong precincts. The county will now pay a fine of one hundred and eighty thousand dollars to make sure that the problems do not continue in the future. The county has promised to spend an additional two hundred thousand dollars on new training software for their poll workers. Uh, This county, uh, which includes Atlanta, Fulton County, uh, has a heavily African-American voting population. It leans progressive. It voted overwhelmingly for President Obama in 08 and uh, 2012. But as the new settlement describes, county election officials misinformed the precincts of who was coming to vote and when. They failed to provide absentee ballots to voters who requested them, and they failed to put voters who registered on time on the rolls, among other violations, the head of Fulton County's elections office was fired last year, which she credits to her refusal to cover up the improper purging of voters in 2012. You uh, may remember we talked, uh, well, we reported at Bradblog and we uh, reported on this show uh, at some length about uh, last year during a a tight race for an open Senate seat down there in Georgia when some 40,000 newly registered voters simply vanished from the rolls. Their registrations never made it onto the rolls. 40,000! And uh, the Secretary of State down there, a Republican, instead of uh, looking into that and doing something about that, Instead, he accused uh, the groups who who signed these people up, 40,000 of them, he accused them of uh, committing voter fraud, at least voter registration fraud. Subsequent investigation found that there were just 25 confirmed forgeries out of more than 85,000 forms that were submitted, voter registration forms. So get that, 25, 25 out of 85,000 registration forms just 25 were forgeries the rest of the 85,000 were legitimate although tens of thousands didn't show up on the rolls at all so now in any event Fulton County is paying a, a, a small price a small price not a large enough price frankly I think that anyone who uh, keeps someone from voting keeps a legal voter from being able to cast their legal vote ought to be sent to jail but this is the problem. This is the problem with the lack of uh, voter registration act th- that we used to have. We we have one, but the important part that uh, stopped these uh, sorts of uh, things from happening prior to elections that was the part that was gutted by the U.S. Supreme Court uh, a couple of summers ago, and that's what uh, has allowed Texas to implement that racist, frankly, of photo ID restriction. That's how uh, Georgia was able to get away with all of these changes. That's how all of these Republican states are getting away with restricting voting in a way that they were never able to before. But now, at least, there is some good news, very little, but some good news uh, in regard to the Voting Rights Act that was gutted by the Supreme Court couple of years ago, uh, there's been an attempt to fix that and to restore it in Congress. But that attempt has come only from Democrats. It used to be that the Voting Rights Act was a bipartisan affair, to be frank. Back in 2006, the Voting Rights Act was reauthorized by Congress uh, in the Senate, 98 to nothing. 
they uh, voted to reauthorize the Voting Rights Act as is for another 25 years. Unanimous. In the, in the uh, U.S. House back in 2006, it was a vote of 390 to 33 in favor of reauthorizing the Voting Rights Act. George W. Bush signed it, had, a, had an, uh, an announcement uh, on, on the lawn, uh, the White House lawn, uh, celebrating the Voting Rights Act. A couple of weeks ago on this show, we also celebrated the 50th anniversary of the Voting Rights Act. And yet... Since it has been gutted by the Supreme Court, uh, not a Republican was has been willing to come on board uh, to support this newly proposed fix to the Voting Rights Act. Now, at least there is uh, one, <laughs> as uh, Ari Berman uh, writes, restoring the Voting Rights Act now has bipartisan support. It, yes, it has one uh, Republican, Senator Lisa Murkowski of Alaska. She becomes the first Republican to co-sponsor uh, the new bill known as the Voting Rights Advancement Act of 2015. She gave a statement to uh, Bur- uh, Ari over at The Nation. The Voting Rights Act of 1965 brought an end to the ugly Jim Crow period in American history. It is fundamentally important in our system of government that every American be given the opportunity to vote regardless of who they are, where they live, and what their race or national origin might be. Well, that's swell. Uh, problem is, uh, she's the only Republican, and so far the Democrats have not even been able to get a hearing on this issue. All right, we're going to take a, a quick break. I knew I wasn't going to get to everything today, but man, am I trying like hell. And Desi, you're on deck because we've got some uh, some environmental things that we've got to talk about that I've been trying to get to for a long time as well. All right, let's take a quick break, and we'll come back with more Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. Hey, this is Brad. Do you enjoy your non-corporatized, commercial-free Bradcast? Yeah, me too. But we need your help to stay that way. Please consider supporting the investigative blogging, broadcasting, and muckraking that we do here on the Bradcast and the Green News Report and bradblog.com with a donation. It's easy. Stop by bradblog.com slash donate and drop a few dollars in the tip jar. You can make a one-time contribution or an automatic monthly donation of any amount you like. It's easy. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you'll help me and Desi stay on the air to continue our troublemaking and muckraking without the corporate influence of anyone. Got it? Thanks. Stop by bradblog.com donate to help us out today. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Sweltering on the West Coast as the longest summer continues. The longest and hottest summer continues. And this may well be not just the hottest summer, but the hottest year on record. Uh, We've just finished in, well, at least in July. It was the hottest month ever recorded on the planet. Not the hottest July, the hottest month ever recorded on the planet. Yeah, and I wouldn't be surprised if August clocks in uh, as the hottest August and the hottest month after that because it is just so hot. It, and well, and based on what we're seeing in September, maybe the hottest uh, September. 
but we're going to get into all of that uh, momentarily, Desi Doyne. You're on deck because uh, there's uh, some things uh, I want to ask you about concerning some uh, statements from some of these Republicans on uh, on on climate change, on global warming. We'll get to that momentarily. Uh, and just to finish out, one more uh, item here that actually bridges us into that conversation. But one more item uh, from the New York concerning the New York Times concerning voting. Um, uh, according to a new study, the New York Times has continued to largely ignore the repeated advice of its public editor, Margaret Sullivan, uh, to report that the type of in-person voter fraud, which strict photo ID restriction laws are supposed to prevent, is virtually non-existent. So in the year since uh, public editor Margaret Sullivan has last has last publicly asked the papers, uh, the, the New York Times editors to curb their, quote, false balance and their he said, she said coverage of the uh, photo ID issue. The New York Times nonetheless gave a free pass to claims of voter fraud in 60 percent of its stories. Wow. That's an increase, an increase of more than 10 percent over the number of stories between 2012 and 2014 that contained unsupported claims of uh, uh, that voter ID is needed to stop voter. So actually, so they got worse. They got worse after the public editor yeah. pointed out, hey, you guys should note that there is no statistical evidence of voter fraud. She said, knock it off. You guys are reporting false balance. And I had this has been a bugaboo from of mine for, I don't you know, over a decade that I've been covering this stuff, you know, and, and Fox News and they're fair and balanced. Fairness is one thing. Balance is BS, at least in a story uh, like this. And just to give you an example of what we're talking about, uh, because there is only, a, you know, one type of voter fraud that photo ID restrictions at the polling place can possibly stop. And that is impersonation. That is somebody going in and saying they are someone other than who they actually are and voting in, in the place of someone else. And it's incredibly rare. It almost never happens. And by almost never, uh, I mean, the best uh, study of this uh, finds about 32 potential incidents of this happening over the past 15 years with more than a billion votes cast. Say that again. 32. Out of a 32 billion. possible possible cases of voter impersonation out of one billion votes cast over the last 15 years. And yet Republicans say they they put this in place to, uh, you know, stop voter fraud when, in fact, uh, they are doing it to stop Democratic leaners, le uh, voters, Democratic leaning voters from being able to cast their vote. So as uh, Margaret Sullivan in The New York Times in the public editor's blog uh, pointed out, uh, when was this? Back in, in 2012, she wrote, uh, Ben Somberg of the Center for Progressive Reform said the Times itself had established in multiple stories that there was little evidence of voter fraud. I hope it's not the Times policy to move this matter back into the he said, she said realm, he wrote at the time. The national editor, Sam Sifton, rejected that argument told Margaret Sullivan that, quote, there's a lot of reasonable disagreement on both sides, he said. One side says there's not significant voter fraud. The other side says there's not significant voter suppression. It's not our job to litigate it in the paper, said Sam Sifton, national editor of The New York Times. We need to state what each side says. Oh, my God. 
that's the exact opposite of, of what, what they we're, should, of should what we're supposed yes, to be. I know. Yeah. So uh, that was that was in, in, in 2012. And uh, Margaret Sullivan said, that's ridiculous. That's false balance. Uh, on other subjects, the Times had made clear progress in uh, avoiding false balance. But then she had to write once again in September of 2014 that they were still doing it. Uh, she pointed out uh, this case in an article titled Getting, F Getting Ferguson Majority to Show Its Clout at the Polls. One passage read, quote, Republican lawmakers who dominate the Missouri legislature have repeatedly pushed for measures requiring photo identification for voters at the polling place, saying it is needed to combat voter fraud. Democrats have called those efforts an attempt to discourage minority voters. And then they just leave it there. The Republicans are doing it. Democrats say it's a, who's right. Who's telling the truth? She writes that the next sentence should instead have been something along the lines of, quote, the evidence shows that such fraud is virtually non-existent. In one sentence, they could have cleared that up. Instead, the issue is treated as a matter of he said, she said. Uh, there is evidence on this issue. The New York Times should have reported it, but they didn't. Margaret Sullivan then goes on to say, I have written about this several times and I feel strongly about it. But the point apparently bears repeating since the newspaper is getting worse, not better. Uh, it bears repeating when there is significant evidence on a hot topic, whether it's voting fraud or the reality of climate change. The Times should not shy away from stating it simply and clearly. So you see how I bridge things over to climate Nicely change Nicely done. There? It is both of these issues, and if not others, but both of these issues in which the Times is absolutely failing their job. Their job is to inform the electorate. Their job is to let uh, the electorate know what the hell is going on in their country. So when voters show up at the ballot box, they can, uh, you know, vote knowing what the hell they're talking about. It is not to, you know, repeat what... You know, one side says and the other side says just tell us the truth just tell us the evidence that's all we ask um, but they continue uh, to do this and the New York Times the so-called paper of record is getting worse according to this new study from Media Matters which documents exactly how they came up with this uh, and showing that uh, the paper is just not mentioning how rare in-person voter uh, voting fraud is, despite the fact that, you know, we mentioned that Texas uh, story earlier in the show. Six hundred thousand voters, six hundred thousand already registered voters may be unable to vote this December and next year in 2016. Thanks to this law that is Republicans and The New York Times will tell you is meant to uh, curb voter fraud. Voter fraud that, in this case, when it comes to impersonation, simply doesn't exist. And yet, to stop those maybe, maybe 32 cases of voter impersonation, Republicans are more than happy to disenfranchise hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of voters with these laws. Yes, New York Times, get it right. Start doing your job. All right. Speaking of doing your job, Donald Trump, where's my uh, this? I've been trying to get to. And here's where I'm going to need you, Desi. Don't OK. Uh, Donald Trump 
This was uh, a week or two ago. Uh, we got a series of these. Uh, Donald Trump uh, says that uh, he tweeted, if I am elected president, I will immediately approve the Keystone XL pipeline because there will be no impact on environment and lots of jobs for the U.S. Now, if you read the New York Times, you might actually think that that uh, that that's true. That hey, why uh, we all th they reported you know tens of thousands of jobs from the uh, from the Keystone XL pipeline. It will have no impact on the environment. Uh, that's what Donald Trump says. He will uh, approve it uh, on day one. Is he right, Desi Doyen? No, shockingly. What? what? I know, it's crazy, but no, the uh, actual, when you actually look at the data, as many groups have done so by now, that there really will only be about 1,500 temporary or two-year jobs created by constructing the pipeline. Once the pipeline is constructed and underway, it will only create 35 or so permanent jobs. And what about 35 jobs total for the uh, uh, Keystone XL pipeline? What about the impact on the environment. Well, of course, there will be an impact on the environment. In fact, I think he referred to saying that the State Department even said there wouldn't be an impact, and it's not true. The State Department did not say that. What the State Department was talking about was, oh, well, you know, sometimes if there is a spill, maybe something could happen, but this is, you know, considered to be a low risk, which, of course, is not true. All pipelines spill at some point. In fact, TransCanada, the owner all, and operator... All pipelines spill? All pipelines spill eventually. Eventually. And that's the problem with the Keystone XL pipeline that it's going to be running across America's freshwater Ogallala Aquifer, which is, you know, the major source of, of groundwater for the Midwest, where we grow much of our food. And having the Keystone XL pipeline potentially uh, leak and have a spill, either a small one or even a catastrophic one, oh my God, the impact on the water supply would be awful and you cannot clean up the tar sands that the pipeline would transport from Canada. The tar sands are a very heavy oil. It's very difficult to clean up. We don't actually have the technology yet to clean it up, which is why this is a big problem. And Donald Trump, of course, is wrong. Well, Donald Trump disagrees with you, so we'll just leave it there. <laughs> uh, we should note, uh, however, that uh, according to his mandatory financial disclosures, Donald Trump holds at least $250,000 in Trans-Canada Pipelines. Well, there you go. So he stands to make a lot of money uh, if this is built. His stock holdings also include numerous other fossil fuel companies that could also benefit from the pipeline's approval and subsequent construction. Gosh, you make it sound like it's a bad thing to personally profit from your involvement in government. <laughs> your involvement in government? You mean because when he becomes uh, president of the United States and approves a deal that will make him personal uh, yeah. hundreds of thousands? Uh, speaking of profiting uh, and, uh, well, failed businesswoman Carly Fiorina, <laughs> who is, um, she has, uh, this is uh, amazing, but another piece we've been trying to get to, particularly since we haven't seen rain out here in California, man, oh man. Uh, we are in the worst drought in the history of uh, record keeping out here in California, I guess. The worst right. drought since The worst ever drought, yes. Since we, we began we keeping know, yeah. records in the mid-1800s. Uh, right. Uh, Carly Fiorina, who is actually making a legitimate run for the Republican nomination, her and Donald Trump and Ben Carson are now pretty much uh, the three uh, leaders just about. Uh, but she's from California. She ran and lost, got trounced against uh, Barbara Boxer for the U.S. Senate a couple of years ago. She was fired from Hewlett-Packard. And yet, 
with a winning record like that, she's now doing very well in the Republican uh, uh, Party uh, field. And she says that it is not global warming or climate change that is aiding uh, this uh, worst drought ever out here in California. It's actually liberals who caused the drought. In your home state of California, the drought, the wildfires, uh, more evidence uh, is coming out from the scientific community that says climate change has made this worse. Mm -hmm. Not to say that the drought is directly caused, but it's made it worse. You know what's also made it worse? Politicians, liberal politicians who stood up for 40 years as the population of California doubled and said you cannot build a new reservoir and you cannot build a water conveyance system. And so for 40 years, 70% of the rainfall has washed out to sea. That's pretty dumb when you know you're going to have droughts every single year or every three years, let's say. Okay, so liberals should have known better, Desi Doyen. Uh, what, uh, h- how do you answer to that? Why, why were we not building uh, more reservoirs? When we knew, we knew years ago that we were going to be in the worst ever drought in the history of mankind. Well, mostly it's because all the good sites are already taken. And there were also other impacts when you build a reservoir or a dam. You actually kill the river and everything that lives in it and the entire ecology around it. And when she says... You know, and then that's a bad thing, by the way, to kill the entire ecology around a river. It turns out there are lots of things that depend on the river, such as the commercial fishing industry Mm -hmm. in California. So when she says, oh, 70 percent of that water gets washed out to sea, 70 percent of that water that gets washed out to sea supports the salmon industry, which is a billion dollar industry in California, which apparently Carly Fiorina doesn't care that much about. Well, when Carly uh, was making these comments, that was uh, on Meet the Press uh, a couple of weeks ago uh, with uh, Chuck Todd. Um, and she she has been out there, you know, blaming uh, liberal politicians. Uh, well, one that she could blame, one liberal politician, would be Governor Jerry Brown, who is not only the governor right now out here in California in his second term now, but he was also the governor forty years ago. He what is he? Both the youngest and the oldest governor of California. That's right. And now in his fourth term. Uh, each of those uh, two, uh, each uh, two terms each time separated by about 40 years. Well, Chuck Todd knew that Carly Fiorina was going to uh, was going to blame those liberal politicians like Jerry Brown. So uh, to his credit in this case, rather than just leaving it stand, as he said, she said, I guess uh, he went out and um, asked for a comment uh, from Jerry Brown and uh, and and played it for her. Here's here's uh, Chuck Todd asking Jerry Brown about Carly Fiorina's comments that uh, liberals are to blame for for the drought. I asked Governor Jerry Brown to respond to that exact criticism you made. I said you blamed liberal environmentalists in California specifically on dams and reservoirs. And this is how he responded. I've never heard of such utter ignorance. Uh, Building a dam won't do a damn thing about fires or climate change or the absence of moisture in the ground and vegetation of California. So I think these people, if they want to run for president, better do uh, kind of eighth grade science before they make any more utterances. (laughs) So there you go. It was one of those moments. What's that Woody Allen film? Marshall McLuhan moment. Yeah, it's it's from Annie Hall. A Marshall McLuhan moment where he says, here, let me ask Marshall McLuhan. He's right here. I happen to have him right here. Well, I happen to have one of those liberal (laughs) politicians right here. And and good for Chuck Todd. He actually uh, knew that in advance that that, uh, climate science does say that even though it didn't necessarily cause the drought, it has made it much, much, much worse. 
So good for him for being prepared. Good for Chuck Todd. That's a phrase you don't hear very often <laughs> on the broadcast. Well done, Desi Doyen. All right. Uh, finally, uh, now uh, let's get to we've gone through uh, Trump and, and Carly Fiorina. Let's not forget Sarah Palin. Oh, I no. know you'd love to, but let's not forget her, if only because she was recently on, uh, what was it, Jake Tapper. Had CNN. Her, uh, CNN, uh, just, a, just a couple of days ago, as uh, Barack Obama had taken his trip up to the Arctic, up to Alaska, spent some time up there talking about climate change uh, which in Alaska, which has been greatly affected by climate change, spending not quite as much time talking about the fact that he has recently approved drilling up in the uh, otherwise pristine Arctic, drilling for oil by uh, Shell Oil. But he made a very good case while he was there uh, for action on climate change. So naturally, Jake Tapper went out and got uh, Sarah Palin. Now we talked about her. This uh, in her, one of the she made she said so much. I know in that in that one you know five minutes, her comment about uh, oh if uh, Donald Trump gets elected, what position would you like in the administration? And she said uh, energy is her baby. That she thinks about oil and what did she say? Oil and gas oil and, and gas. resources and all of that stuff that God dumped on us. Um, so she wanted to therefore run the Department of Energy. Problem is, as you pointed out in the Green News Report, Desi Doyen, Department of Energy has nothing to do with oil and gas and minerals. That's right. That's the Interior That's Department. That's the Interior Department. So she didn't know that. She claimed to that that was her baby. But she didn't know it. Uh, uh, but uh, on another, she had no idea that Department of Energy has nothing. Oh, and she wants to shut it down after she right. takes control of it. Um, but she did have a comment uh, about climate change itself on uh, CNN uh, just this past Sunday. As you know better than I, winter temperatures in Alaska have warmed an average of 6% over the last 50 years, twice the national average. Uh, listen to what the president had to say. Any so-called leader who does not take this issue seriously or treats it like a joke is not fit to lead. Do you take climate change seriously? Uh, I take changes in the weather, the cyclical changes that uh, the globe has undergone for since the beginning of time. I, I take it seriously, but I'm not going to blame these changes in the weather on man's footprint. Really? Really? You're not going to blame man? Really, Sarah Palin? That was Sarah Palin uh, just this past Sunday. But oddly enough, when Sarah Palin was running for president, well, for vice president back in uh, in 2008 on John McCain's ticket, back in 2008, two years prior to Citizens United, two years uh, prior to the Supreme Court decision that allowed uh, the Koch brothers and the oil companies to give as much money as they wanted to uh, politicians, uh, before that, uh, she says now, oh, uh, I'm not going to blame man. She was saying something kind of different back in 2008. You know, that there are uh, man's activities that can be contributed to uh, the, the issues that we're dealing with now oh. with these impacts. I'm not going to solely really? blame all of man's activities on changes in climate because the world's weather patterns are, are cyclical and, and over history we have seen changes there. But um, kind of doesn't matter at this point uh, as we debate what caused it. The, the point is, it's real. We need to do something about it. It's real. Man is uh, causing it. That was Sarah Palin back in 2008. Now we're 2015. And uh, no, man doesn't have anything to do with it. She man went on later to say it was bogus. 
It was bogus. Yeah. That the idea that she actually man used has, the word bogus. That man has anything to do with yeah. Because it's just all weather. It's all cyclical. Right. Yeah. Oh, oddly enough, she felt differently some years ago. Speaking of feeling differently some years ago, let's take a quick break and we will come back with uh, some thoughts on the 14th anniversary of the September 11, 2001 attacks. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. Please stay tuned. Back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman of Bradblog.com. 14 years after the 9-11 attacks in 2001, Tom Englehart of TomDispatch.com wrote this piece uh, that was reprinted by The Nation that I thought is is worth reading from here. Uh, Just an excerpt. It's a longer piece. Strongly recommend you go over and check it out, but it is uh, it is food for thought as we are now at the 14th anniversary of the 9-11 attacks. Tom Englehart's headline here is 14 years after 9-11, the war on terror is accomplishing everything bin Laden had hoped it would. 14 years later, and do you even believe it? Did we actually live it? Are we still living it? And how improbable is that? 14 years of wars, interventions, assassinations, torture, kidnappings, black sites, the growth of the American national security state to monumental proportions, and the spread of Islamic extremism across much of the greater Middle East and Africa. 14 years of astronomical expense, bombing campaigns galore, and a military first foreign policy of repeated defeats, disappointments, and disasters. 14 years of a culture of fear in America, of endless alarms and warnings, as well as dire predictions of terrorist attacks. 14 years of the burial of American democracy, or rather its recreation as a billionaire's playground and a source of spectacle and entertainment, but not governance. 14 years of the spread of secrecy, the classification of every document in sight, the fierce prosecution of whistleblowers and a faith-based urge to keep Americans secure by leaving them in the dark about what their government is doing. Fourteen years of the demobilization of the citizenry. Fourteen years of the rise of the warrior corporation, the transformation of war and intelligence gathering into profit-making activities, and the flocking of countless private contractors to the Pentagon, the NSA, the CIA, and too many other parts of the national security state to keep track of. Fourteen years of our wars coming home in the form of PTSD, the militarization of the police, and the spread of war zone technology like drones and stingrays to the homeland. Fourteen years of that un-American word, homeland. Fourteen years of the expansion of surveillance of every kind and of the development of a global surveillance system whose reach from foreign leaders to tribal globes in the backlands of the planet 
would have stunned those running the totalitarian states of the 20th century. Fourteen years of the financial starvation of America's infrastructure and still not a single mile of high-speed rail built anywhere in the country. Fourteen years in which to launch Afghan War 2.0, Iraq Wars 2.0 and 3.0, and Syria War 1.0. Fourteen years, that is, of the improbable made probable. Fourteen years later, the improbability of it all staggers the imagination. Starting with those vast shards of the World Trade Center in downtown Manhattan, the real-world equivalent of the Statue of Liberty, sticking out of the sand in the original planet of the apes. With lower Manhattan still burning in the air acrid with destruction, they seemed like evidence of a culture that had undergone its own apocalyptic moment and come out the other side unrecognizably transformed. To believe the coverage at the time, Americans had experienced Pearl Harbor and, and Hiroshima combined. We were planet Earth's ultimate victims, and downtown New York was ground zero, a phrase previously reserved for places where nuclear explosions had occurred. We were instantly the world's greatest victim and greatest survivor, and it was taken for granted that the world's most fulfilling sense of revenge would be ours. 9-11 came to be seen as an assault on everything innocent and good and triumphant about us, the ultimate they-hate-our-freedoms moment, and Osama, it worked. You spooked this country into 14 years of giving any dumb or horrifying act or idea or law or intrusion into our lives or curtailment of our rights a get-out-of-jail-free pass. You loosed not just your dogs of war, but ours which was exactly what you needed to bring chaos to the Muslim world. Fourteen years later, don't you find it improbable that the United States has gone into the business of robotic assassination, big time, that despite Watergate-era legal prohibitions on such acts, we are now the terminators of planet Earth, not its John Connors. That the president is openly and proudly an assassin-in-chief with his own global kill list. Don't you find it odd that all of this has been done in the name of wiping out the terrorists and their movements, despite the fact that wherever our drones strike, those movements seem to gain in strength and power? Fourteen years later, don't you find it improbable that our War on terror has so regularly devolved into a war of and for terror that our methods, including the targeted killings of numerous leaders and lieutenants of militant groups, have visibly promoted, not blunted, the spread of Islamic extremism. And that, despite this, Washington has generally not recalibrated its actions in any meaningful way. Fourteen years later, the 9-11 attacks and the thousands of innocents killed represent international criminality and immorality of the first order. On that, Americans are clear. But most improbable of all, no one in Washington has yet taken the slightest responsibility for blowing a hole through the Middle East, loosing mayhem across significant swaths of the planet, or helping release the forces that would create the first true terrorist state of modern history. Nor has anyone in any official capacity taken responsibility for creating the conditions that led to the deaths of hundreds of thousands possibly a million or more people, 
turned many in the greater Middle East into internal or external refugees, destroyed nations, and brought unbelievable pain to countless human beings. In these years, no act, not of torture, nor murder, nor the illegal offshore imprisonment of innocent people, nor death delivered from the air or the ground, nor the slaughter of wedding parties, nor the killing of children, has blunted the sense among Americans that we live in an exceptional and indispensable country of staggering goodness and innocence. Fourteen years later, how improbable is that? From Tom Englehart at the TomDispatch.com, rerunning at The Nation this week, headlined 14 years after 9-11, the war on terror is accomplishing everything bin Laden hoped it would. You can and should read his full report over there at TomDispatch.com or TheNation.com. My thanks today to our producer, Desi Doyen, to our booking goddess, Cynthia Cohn, And, of course, to you, the listener, for spending part of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program, you can always download it at bradblog.com or, of course, over at iTunes. We will see you soon. Until then, you can find and follow me on the Twitters and the Facebooks at TheBradBlog. I'm Brad Friedman, and I really mean it. Good luck, world.